0: Lou Anders is the Editorial Director for Pyre Books. Thank you for joining me, Lou. It is my pleasure as always, Rick. Lou, uh, let's talk first about this contest that Pyre is running. It seems pretty interesting to me, and it involves a convention that is getting more and more notice on the wide scale of the science fiction world.
1: Yes, it is. Yes, it does. Uh, We are five years old this month. We launched Pyre in March of 2005.
0: Boy, it just seems like a heartbeat ago.
1: (laughs) It does, although we're going to hit our 100th book, I believe, in September. Wow. I'm not sure which that book is yet, but mm-hmm. it depends on which one comes back to the printer first. <laughs> but uh,
0: <laughs>
1: we have four books out in September, and one of them will be number 100, which blows my
0: mind. I, I can see why. That's a lot of books. 20 books a year, that's, that's a pretty uh, peppy pace there.
1: Well, we actually started with 18 books a year, and now I think I'm going to have closer to 32
0: books for the Wh- next year. Wow. So tell us about the contest. Well,
1: we've asked readers to write their why science fiction and fantasy are important to them and to send those essays in. Uh, there's an email address for the essays on our site. If you go to www- com, right at the top of the page, you can click for all the details. So don't take anything I say is accurate until you've read the actual rules and regulations. But uh, you send in your essays there's going to be a team at Prometheus Books that are going to pick the 25 best essays and then they are going to send those to me and I'm
0: going to pick the top 3. And what will people get in return for writing these essays and what kind of essays are you looking for? Why I like SF and fantasy or I mean is there some uh, um you you're the editor, give us a clue as to what will you think will interest you.
1: Well, but instead of doing that, some of the people, it's, it's five reasons why science fiction and fantasy is important to you. Mm,
2: mm-hmm. And
1: some of the people at Prometheus Books who will be reading the essays do not necessarily read science fiction and fantasy. Some of them do and some of them don't. Mm-hmm. And so I think essays that will explain the genre in ways that people who are maybe not familiar with it are, or entice people to read, mm-hmm. entice other people to want to read it. You know, not, Star Wars was the greatest thing that ever happened to me, man. <laughs> Reaching um, outside I mean, the genre, right? Exactly. Then uh, all I was going to say is, Third prize is a Pyre commemorative keepsake and five complimentary Pyre books of the person's choice.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Second
1: prize is our entire catalog to date as published by the end of June 1st, 2010.
0: Now, how many books is that going to be?
1: Well, we're up to about 87 books right now,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we're doing about two books a month, uh, and sometimes more. So it'll be
0: over 90 books. Mm, that's a lot of books. Mm-hmm. It is. That's a, that, that's a, a nice uh, cachet, especially given the you know the high quality of what you no, publish. the an that's, entire that, library. Yeah, that that'll um, keep somebody busy for a while. You know,
1: when we do if we do a book in hardcover and when we do it in paperback later, they won't get both editions, but mm-hmm. it'll still be a sizable library, and it'll be, um, and then it'll be around ninety books, and then the grand prize winner gets the Pyre and Dragons adventure, which is a round trip flight to Atlanta, Georgia, two nights hotel accommodation, DragonCon membership and dinner with me and an assortment of Pyre authors. There are going to be seven Pyre authors attending. I'm not sure which ones will be at the dinner, but some of them will.
0: Well, that sounds pretty great. Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, DragonCon. Like I say, it seems to uh, be creeping up in its uh, 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 level in the the science fiction world.
1: It has. You know, I went to DragonCon years ago just for the day, Mm -hmm. and uh, I went to help my friend Yatsy DeVries, uh, editor and anthologist who was in at interzone and I sat in the interzone booth to help him sell magazines mm-hmm. and you know he maybe sold three subscriptions all day long whereas the guy next to him unhygienically installing vampire teeth with the same set of unwashed tools over and over and over again at $80 a pop had a line that wrapped out the door and never stopped
0: that's scary and
1: yeah that's scarier <laughs> than I, people
0: with vampire teeth
1: <laughs> and it's 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 uh you know it was happy it looked well didn't look very hygienic to me. Mm. But um, it did look like he was making a killing. Um, but, you know, so I went away from that and said, this isn't a con for me. It doesn't have anything for literary people. I'm not interested. Well, last year, someone convinced me to go again, and, and it complete and I went as an attending professional and did the literary track, and it blew me away. I was just, um, I couldn't get over what a receptive audience it had. I couldn't get over how many publishing professional professionals were already at the con mm. um it it you know tour books were there in full bane books were there in full um ginger buchanan was
0: there i think for the first time really
1: gene wolf was there for the first time
0: wow now uh, is he Kevin local J.
1: anderson is always there
0: Pardon? Is is Gene Wolfe is that does he live bed down south there or
1: no, I don't think so.
0: Wow. Hmm. Interesting.
1: I'm not sure where he's based actually. Hmm. But you know, the list of people that were there was, was just incredible. The art show was enormous. The the, the the publisher presence, the editor presence, the writer presence. And I couldn't I couldn't get over what a literary con it always was. Let me let me I actually have called up my list. This is not everyone who was there. This is just everyone I felt like writing down. Mhm. Kevin J. Anderson, Michael Starkpole, Gene Wolfe, Walter John Williams, Eric Front, John Ringo, Alan Dean Foster, Sherilyn Kenyon, Mike Resnick, Alethea Contis, Todd McCaffrey, Scott Sigler, Josephus Sherman, James Maxey, Catherine Asaro, Gail Z. Martin, S.M. Sterling, Peter F. Beagle, J.F. Lewis, Jody Lynn Nye, Christopher Golden, Diana Gabaldon, Charlene Harris, Sherry Priest, Susan Sizemore, C.L. Wilson, Jenny Wertz, Timothy Zahn, Lois McMaster-Buzold, on the publishing side, we had Ginger Buchanan, Pablo Defendi from tour.com, Stacey Hague Hill from tour, Paul Stevens from tour, Jennifer Heddle from Pocket Books, Tony Weisskoff from Bain, Stephen H. Siegel from Weird Tales, Jason Waltz from Rogue Blades, and of course, yours truly from Fire Books. That's a major
0: literary con. That's a major literary press. That's
1: huge. That's probably yeah. bigger than anything except maybe Norwest Con and Worldcon. Mm. And so that blew my mind.
0: <clears throat> and that's uh, really interesting.
1: You know what I found too was a wonderful demographic because uh, you go to Comic Con and, and you know there are young people at Comic Con, but there's a lot of them are not interested in books. A lot of them are there to queue up for the free toys and the video games and mm-hmm. Hollywood. And uh, I'd always thought that Dragon Con was going to be a miniature Comic Con, and it really isn't. It hasn't been co-opted by Hollywood to the degree that Comic Con has been. It's still a fan-run convention and has a lot of the same feel.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just a fan-run convention with 35,000 people. And Hollywood's there, but they kind of stick them all in a in a hotel off to the side called the Walk of Fame, and everybody's sitting out with their photograph for their autograph, and you go over there and you walk it once, you never go back. And um, meanwhile, it's just tons of people. And I love the demographic. I mean, I went out to lunch with um, someone in their teens and someone in their in their late 20s, early 30s, mm-hmm. and, and me, at my age, I won't give... And we all sat around and talked about all our favorite books and movies. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was you know, that it was exactly the right thing I wanted from a convention. It was a mix of ages, and they were all there for the same reason, and they were all hanging out together. They weren't segregated. And um, it's exactly the demographic you know, that I want to reach. And there are so many book lovers there, and there's so many publishing industry professionals there. And I think it would take very, very little to tip it over into the awareness of these science fiction fantasy communities radar that, hey, this is a convention you should do every year.
0: Seems like it. It's interesting too, you know, a a, a lot of publishers really do, and understandably, want to reach that uh, younger group of of, uh, readers. You know, and and so getting out there and putting your books in front of them seems like a a good way to do it.
1: Well, it's not just the younger. It's just that I worry sometimes that Worldcon is only reaching the older.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And what I liked
1: about DragonCon is that I reached both uh, we're going to be there this year with an exhibitor booth. My publicity director is coming, and as I say, at least seven of our authors are attending. And a couple of artists I work with are going to be there.
0: Now, uh, Pyre has a new book by Paul McCauley. It's a sequel to The Quiet War, and it is called?
1: Gardens of the Sun.
0: Gardens of the Sun. Tell us about Gardens of the Sun. Is this, uh, are we going to see more in this series?
1: Well, Gardens of the Sun and The Quiet War are a duology. They mm-hmm. are one story complete themselves. Paul has talked about writing more in this world, uh, possibly even in the far future of this world. I don't want to spoil too much, but we go out further into the solar system. Um, but but I don't want people to think that they, they can't get on board with this and get the full story in these two books.
0: That's nice to have two books, there, and there and neither one of them is um, even close to being a doorstop. It's just nice to see a space opera that uh, has a, a peppy pace and a fairly concise uh, storytelling style. Well,
1: I like duologies. I wish more people wrote duologies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I, I find them less intimidating than trilogies and five-book series and unending doorstop fantasy novels. Mm-hmm. But um, not there's anything wrong with those, publish those too. But uh, <laughs> I, I like a good duology. And this one, is, it's really an examination of the build-up to war, the war, and the aftermath of war. Uh, it's a situation where the Earth is, ruled, is led by the country of Brazil, which worships the trinity of God, Gaia, and greater Brazil in a kind of remade environmental Catholicism. And their mission, although there are levels of hypocrisy within this, of course, is to restore the Earth to its sort of pre-industrial levels. And they have environmental saints, green saints. Mm -hmm. And uh, meanwhile, opposite them are the outers, the people who left uh, over 100 years ago to settle the moons of Saturn and Jupiter. And there's already been one war between the outers and the Earth. And these people are not afraid to alter themselves to fit the terrain they find themselves on. And that is anathema to the religion of greater Brazil. But it's also given them a technological edge, which the real military of Earth covets. Mm. And so in the guise of a pseudo-holy war, I mean a modern holy war, they are planning on making a land land and technology grab. So Earth
0: wants to, the Earth while... Uh, maintaining the appearance of environmental purity is more than happy to snatch the anything higher they tech. Think of, they can use. Yeah, anything they think they can use. That exactly. sounds pretty familiar. Get,
1: get rid of the rest so that no one can use it against them. Mm-hmm. And three-quarters of the first book are the build-up to uh, that war while all the diplomatic envoys are saying, oh, no, 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 war is the last thing we want. And uh, there are some parallels with our recent history. Hmm. And um, and then the the war itself breaks in the last... In the last um, Quarter of the book, and then book two picks up with the occupation, and and you know if they, you know as they put it, they won the war, but winning the peace
0: may be a lot harder. Yeah, mm, That's a uh, that's a uh, again a familiar lesson from the present. Oh yes. Oh yes.
1: Paul, I, I love his work because mm-hmm. he you know, some years ago there was a, uh, a website called Meme Therapy, which did uh, round robin type interviews that MindMeld does, that SF Signals MindMeld does now. And they asked it, my urging, does science fiction have a job to engage its times, or is it just entertainment? And something like eight out of the ten people they polled said, oh, it's just entertainment. There's no obligation whatsoever for science fiction to actually address the present. Hmm. And I was disgusted.
0: Well, I, I don't see how it can help but address the present. It's being written in the present, unless people, these people have access to a technology they're not telling us about.
1: Yeah. And, it, and you know, <laughs> the, it, it just it disgusted me and Paul's answer was completely the opposite he said it wasn't his job it was its nature that science fiction was the holy fool of literature the kid in the leather jacket who points out that the emperor has no clothes mm-hmm. and that that's what it does best and that it always thrives in times in intense times
2: mm. and,
1: and he ended up saying, it should be it should be thriving now and it needs to straighten up and fly right and get medieval on reality's ass <laughs> and I, man, I got to work with this guy. <laughs> I, I just, you know, that's too beautiful. That's 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 exactly right. Mm-hmm. So that's why that's why uh, I I went after the Quiet War, and we we're bringing out um, his Cowboy Angels
0: mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. in in another six or seven months. That was a great. Uh, that was a. Book came out from MacGawlands uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. That was a really good novel. And came out,
1: never got picked up over here, and it's a marvelous novel and, and, and very American.
0: I mean, it, it, that's, oh yeah, it inter-
1: needs to be published over here. Yeah,
0: yeah, very interesting. Yeah, the, the way the these things work. The,
1: the CIA has been going into parallel realities where America is not the dominant superpower of their planet, and then helping them take over their world and bringing them into the Pax American Union one big, multiversal, happy democracy. And,
0: uh, <laughs> well, just, democracy by some oh, definition. Oh, well,
1: in <laughs> quotes. In, <Yeah. laughs> in quotes with sarcasm. And uh, just marvelous book. It,
0: it, and, uh, you know, Macaulay's uh, an interesting figure because he's been, uh, I think, really ahead of his time. He was writing you know, new British space opera before new British space opera had been dubbed such. And he, he's always seems to be, you know, really have his finger, you know, on the pulse of what's going to be happening in science fiction. And so I would presume that uh, not long after the publication of Cowboy Angels, we'll probably, we might see a flourishing of, uh you know, multi yeah, uh, multiversal science fiction. Hey, that's the new British multiversal science fiction uh, wave.
1: Hey, well, we kind of have. I mean, mm-hmm. this is um, this was Ian McDonald's Brazil. This was uh, something that I think John Courtney Grimwood, one of his recent novels. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually that raises the question. I wonder what the next wave will be because in this summer we'll come out with Ian McDonald's The Dervish House, mm-hmm. which is the nearest future book he's ever written, and uh, it takes place five days in Istanbul
2: and Mm.
0: deals
1: with realistic nanotech.
0: Uh, Interesting. Um, One of the the people I wanted to ask you about, because we haven't talked about her before, is uh, Kay Kenyon. Now, first off, is she a relation to Sherilyn Kenyon? Not that I'm aware. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, um, her stuff is really interesting. I think it's, you know, uh, 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 she's out there um, creating a very interesting universe, and she's been exploring it for for a while now. Talk about uh, her books. Uh, when did you bring her on board, and and what what uh, book that you had read of hers beforehand, or how did she get get your attention?
1: Well, I had actually never read her novels beforehand. I remember in two thousand or two thousand one hearing Gardner Dozois tap her, uh, in, when asked as one of the most interesting writers up and coming that he thought that he personally uh, who he thought were the most interesting up and coming writers and he named her right off. Mm-hmm. And so um Mike Resnick brought her to my attention. She and he co wrote a story for one of my anthologies. Mm-hmm. I think my first anthology. My uh, my first professional anthology live with I met. And so after that I went back to K for short fiction. And I was i only read her at short length and it was really impressed with what I read when Mike convinced her to send me the first book in her entire in the Rose Quartet, Bright of the Sky. Mm-hmm. And it was absolutely marvelous. It starts out there's a, there's a starship pilot who has disappeared, and his ship went down with his family on it. And six months later, he's found in a lifeboat way, way, way farther than the lifeboat could ever have gotten on its own, you know, light years away from where the ship went down. Mm-hmm. And he's raving in an alien language and complaining that he's been gone and saying he's been gone for 10 years. But his memories are scrabbled, and he's not real specific. And they think he's completely crazy, may be responsible for the loss of his ship, and they just want him to shut up and go away. And they pay him millions of dollars to drop out of the limelight and keep his mouth shut. And he's been living as a recluse in a mansion on the coast, and just, you know, his life is over. And uh, three years later, they discover a hole in space with neutrinos of opposite spin flying through, and they realized he was telling the truth. Mm. And if it's true that he was gone for 10 years, but it's just been six months and he's not any older, then this place may have the ability, if time runs in a different different speed there than here, then this may be a way we can go through in our journeys to the stars without having to pay the price.
2: Mm. Mm -hmm. And
1: Mm -hmm. so the company that runs the space travel really wants him to go through and negotiate travel rights with whoever's there. So they send him back through, and he's willing to go because he thinks his family's there. And he goes through, and we find a world that is really, really interesting. Kay wanted to come up with a scenario that did away with conventional, faster-than-light spaceship universes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a starship-shaped world with no empty space. It tunnels through our own like a cancer.
2: Hmm. And it
1: has these radial arms that have floor, storm walls, and a turbulent die overhead called the bright, and there is no empty space. Mm. And if you could do it, if you could live long enough and have the stamina, you could walk a distance between here and Alpha Centauri, mm. because
0: there's desert the whole way. Wow. <laughs> no, that's very different. I like that.
1: Each of these radial arms have a, a silver river of quantum foam called the called Nye and special navigators who have been gifted with the ability to sail on it faster than light.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so if you want to go down the length of an arm, you charter a boat, and the boat takes you at light speed. Mm-hmm. And then in the center, there's a, a lake of this quicksilver stuff, and above it, a floating city, in which rule a oddly Mandarin overlord race mm-hmm. of strange, giant, blue aliens called the Tarig. And, of course, they rule over many, many, many different alien peoples, all of whom have been modeled on alien peoples taken from our own universe, from Mm -hmm. the distant corners of our own universe. And, of course, our enigmatic Earthman is going to shake things up in the way this world has always been. And I got about three-quarters of the way through the first book, and I went, oh, my God, she's doing Flash Gordon (laughs) (laughs) right down in the floating city.
0: I was thinking Dune myself.
1: Well, it's as complex as Dune. You know, mm-hmm. it's really... When I, when I say she's doing Flash Gordon, she's doing Flash Gordon in a thoroughly modern, sophisticated, magnificent way. And she denies it. But but it's just wonderful. And it's the world-building is just extraordinary. And I got to the end of book four, which has just come out of Prince of Storms. Mm-hmm. And it really... Um, when I finished book four... I went. I, I realized this was the the science fiction equivalent of Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. in scope and scale.
0: Well, one thing I, I actually talked to her back in I think uh, 2002 at uh, the uh, world world uh, science fiction convention in Toronto, if I'm not mistaken. I seem to remember her at a seminar, and she had a, a paperback out that I thought was really in, very interesting. It's it's great to see that uh, there are people still out there you know not accepting that we've done everything we can in science fiction which is a kind of a sometimes the seems the way that people approach it as well all we can do is rehash this or rehash that whereas the point of science fiction is that you never have to rehash anything exactly now tell us any uh is there anything exciting coming up in the uh near future that my readers and listeners will want to look out for
2: well
1: uh, we've just completed another series. We have Geo out from David Lewis Edelman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dragon Page cover to cover just said probably some of the best sci-fi written this decade. Mm-hmm. And Locust Magazine said it will stand as a seminal work of 21st century SF.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I really like his, his the style, I thought, and, and the storytelling are very, very unusual. I think that in many ways it doesn't read exactly like science fiction, even though it's clearly set in a science fiction universe.
1: That's funny. I thought he did read. Like you know, I felt like he writes with a kind of clarity and, and, and confident authority of someone like Heinlein. Mm-hmm. Um, not afraid to have a position.
0: No, no, definitely yeah. not.
1: And then uh, we've talked before about Adrian Tchaikovsky. Mm-hmm. We've just come out with the first book in the Empire uh, of Black and Gold series, which is the <laughs> fantasy series with steampunk elements, mm-hmm. where the Wasp Empire is taking over the the cities of the lowlands one at a time and uh, very much a Roman slash Nazi army gobbling up independent warring Greek city-states none of whom were particularly bothered when their neighbor falls mm. uh, until they realize half the lowlands are gone and, and the other half will soon follow. Absolutely magnificent. Really the scope and scale of it just incredible. Probably the, the first person I'm aware of to, to realize if World War I really inspired Lord of the Rings and was put the World War One back into our epic fantasy so you've got articulated tanks that walk on spider legs using steampunk siege engines to attack medieval castles. Hmm. Just fantastic. In the second book, Dragonfly Falling, someone invents a technology that changes the game. I mean, it's, it's literally like the invention of the machine gun,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: you know, uh, wiping out
0: an army of cavalry. That's an interesting notion for for uh, a fantasy to, to, to bring in To evolve the
1: world forward, yes. yeah. Yeah,
0: t- to bring in the technological... Uh, element.
1: Absolutely magnificent.
0: I've been speaking with Lou Anders. He's the editorial director of Pyre Books. He'll be at Dragon Con coming up this year. There's a contest you can enter at pyresf.com. Thank you for joining me, Lou. Thank you. It's been my pleasure.